All right, good morning, everybody. I'll tell you, what, I have been so looking forward to this series. Um, I always look forward to Easter, but I've really been looking forward to this series. So I'll tell you, here's what I just want to jump right in, okay? And um, I want you to go back with me, go back to when you were a kid, you're a little kid, right? And I think all of us probably had certain things we were afraid of. Maybe they're irrational, all right? Things we were afraid of when we were a kid. So I need you to be a little bit, a little bit vulnerable here. I need you to be, kind of be honest. I'm going to ask you to just kind of, kind of raise your hand <clears throat> if you're afraid of any of these things, okay? Are you with me? All right, so here we go. Um, how many, I mean, there was like a real fear about like something underneath the bed. There was a monster. I, I'm surprised I'm even here today because I knew a monster. Yeah. All right, there we go. All right, very good. How, how about anybody afraid of what the closet? Had to have the closet door closed. Oh my gosh, don't leave, mom. Close the closet door before you, yeah? Very good. Um, sometimes there are irrational things too. I had my, my, middle, my middle son, Josh, he was a, had afraid of sharks. Why are you afraid of sharks in Chicago? I don't know. But I can remember as a little guy saying, Dad, I'm not afraid of nothing except sharks. Except sharks. Um, what about quicksand? Quicksand seemed to be a big deal when we were kids. Quicksand? I think that was probably like the Roadrunner and uh, Wiley Coyote's fault. You know, boulders and quicksand. I, I never ran into quicksand, but I was always afraid of it. Right? Uh, how, how about um, uh, ghosts? Ghosts? I'm going to try something. Clowns? Clowns? Yeah, statistically, clowns are a lot scarier to people than even ghosts. How about zombies? Okay, that, that poll lied. They said zombies were even scarier. How about Santa Claus, Easter Bunny? Anything, anything in a costume just totally freaked you out. Yeah? What else? What else am I missing? What else? Spiders. Sp- spiders. How many people are still scared of spiders? Okay, there we go. Yes, anything else? Porcelain dolls. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> <laughs> Oops, I just said that out loud in front of 700 people. Um, I'll tell you what, he, he, it's fascinating. Thing. Listen, Albert Hitchcock, the, the famous suspense film director, he made a living off of fear, and, here, and here's what he said. He said, fear isn't so difficult to understand. After all, weren't we all frightened as children? And nothing's changed since Little Red Riding Hood could face the big bad wolf. What frightens us today is exactly the same sort of thing that frightened us yesterday. I love this line. It's just a different wolf. It's just a different wolf. The fright complex is rooted in every individual. All right, I want you to fast forward 10 years, 20, 30, 40, maybe more. What scares you today? Rooting for the Cubs, hoping for a World Series. Yes, that is a frightening prospect. That wasn't on my list, but that is, that is, that is a good one. <laughs> what about, um, maybe somebody broke your heart. And I don't mean, not just the ladies, some guys. Somebody rejected you, they took advantage of you. And you know what, even today you walk in, it makes you afraid to get close to somebody. Maybe it's a fear of failing. Everything feels like it's just it's too big of a risk, so you just kind of pull back and you, and, and you do nothing. And you're almost like paralyzed by fear. Or maybe it's money. There's a real fear that the money's going to run out. You had people take a look at it and they're going, no, you're going to be fine. It's irrational. The math works. But inside, no, 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 you know mm, something's going to happen. Or for some of us, it's always a fear of what the, what the doctor might say. And sometimes that's, that's rooted, for some of us, maybe in a family history. For some of us, it's not rooted in really anything that we can tell. We're just sure the bad news is coming. 
I want you to work with me a little bit, okay, this morning. For you to get the most of this, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? Here's the thing. Today we're beginning a brand new series. It's called My Story. And I'll tell you what, here's the deal. Many of us have stories that have been dominated. If if it was a book, I mean, they've been dominated. There's whole chapters that are filled with addiction. Or things like shame. Or failure. Or we're going to talk about today, fear. And that may have been your story up until even today, even this moment. But here's the good news. The good news that we gather together to proclaim and share with one another is that God has a brand new story that he wants to write for your life. Now, you may have an old story, but what God wants to do, he wants to write you a brand new story. There's a guy by the name of Paul, the Apostle Paul, and God intervened in a powerful way and kind of edited his story. And, and here's what he said. He said, anybody who belongs to Christ, they become a new person. You know what he's saying there? I want to give you, God wants to give you a brand new story. The old story is gone. A new story is about to begin. Now, um, I think Sherry mentions when you came in, you received this card, and uh, this is just for you. On one side, you can see where it says in just real simple script there, uh, my old story was, and we would love for you. Okay, there's a pen probably near you there, probably in the card holder in front of you. You can grab it if you want. Just in a single word, or two words, or a short phrase, just write out my old story. And my prayer is, we're going to give you a chance to use these every week. That then on the back, you'll write my new story that you'll discover here. It may be a word or a phrase, maybe a couple words. Um, now, this is not something we're going to collect. This is really just for you. And kind of writing it down, I think, somehow makes it so for us. And maybe it's something you put on your mirror or something you keep in your wallet, something you keep somewhere. And, and for some of you, too, we're actually going to encourage you. Um, on our website, if we go back one slide here, on our website, we actually have a place where, there it is, where you can actually go ahead and leave your stories there. And those stories will actually be an encouragement to, uh, to other folks um, um, along the way. Now, now, fear, what we're talking about today, fear has been a, a bit of struggle um, for people for, for a long time. We all have a wolf. We all have a wolf. And it's been a struggle for some of the most impressive, most God-loving, God-following people in the Bible. Even people like a, a guy named Elijah, a great prophet. Now, if you get to know Elijah a little bit, Elijah's primary role is to speak out against injustice, to speak out against wrongs, to speak out against uh, things when people were being impressed, especially when the powerful were doing it against the, the, the not-so-powerful. And so what that meant for Elijah is that time and time again, he would square up against the king then, and the king's name was Ahab. Now, Ahab had reigned for 22 years, and he had now had this reputation of being perhaps the most evil king there ever was, at least for the children of Israel. He had, he had completely intentionally, wholeheartedly rejected God. He was now worshiping the pagan god Baal, and he was encouraging others to do exactly the same. That's Ahab. Then Ahab had his wife, the queen, and her name was Jezebel. They were quite a pair. How many many of you know somebody named Jezebel? How many of you wish, oh man, I wish my mom and dad would have named me Jezebel. Any, Any parents here? Think about naming your daughter Jezebel. I don't see anybody, nobody. You know, why is that? I mean, you may not even know Jezebel's story, but we all know Jezebel just means evil, right? Well, this is the Jezebel. She's the one that gave that name such a bad reputation because she was so bad, so evil, so wicked. Now, kind of hold on to that. Now, I want to go back to Ahab and Elijah. Ahab and Elijah, they faced off, I mean, just a, a number of different times. And Elijah, the prophet, had an amazing string of victories. I mean, there were some things that happened that's just re- remarkable. At one point, Elijah stands up to Ahab and to, and to prove a point, he says, listen, just to prove that God is really in control, I'm going to ask him to not make it rain. Not make it rain in your country. And it quit raining. 
Stopped right then. <laughs> Quit raining for three years. Now, if you're Elijah, just going to go like, see? <laughs> right? Take that, Ahab. Another time, Ahab and Elijah, they have this epic duel where it's kind of my God versus your God. My God, Jehovah, versus your God, Baal. So Ahab summons up 450 prophets of Baal. He has them put together this altar. And they're gonna, each of them are going to call on their God to have it rain down fire and, and, and start this altar on fire. So 450 prophets of Baal for Ahab, they all surround this, this altar. and they're, they're crying out for, for fire to come down from heaven, for fire to come down from heaven, for fire to come down from heaven. Nothing happens. So Elijah steps in. And Elijah's a little cocky at this point after the whole rain thing, right? So he actually takes water and he pours it all over the altar. Pours it over the altar again and again. In fact, so much so it's just, it's just soaking wet. And then with one call to God, he says, God, bring down your fire. And fire comes down from heaven, it says, and it consumes the altar, consumes everything, and destroys all 450 prophets of Baal. Now, I can go on and on, but without giving you more time, okay, Elijah's a pretty impressive character, larger-than-life guy, stood up to the king, saw miracles, took on all these false prophets, all that kind of stuff. Now, that last act, though, infuriates Ahab's wife, Ahab's wife Jezebel. She's had it. You've messed with my husband, now you're going to have to mess with me. Jezebel sends a messenger to Elijah, and here's what she says. She says, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of the, one of the prophets who was dead, right? And so Jezebel is basically telling Elijah, hey, I'm, you're done. I'm killing you. I'm going after you. And what does Elijah do? Look at this. It says Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. Now, I mean, you're just not kind of expecting that, are you? I mean, a guy who, I mean, a guy who, who stood up to the king, evil king of Ahab, a guy who over and over again took on these prophets, 450 prophets of Baal, a guy who saw miracle after miracle after miracle, Jezebel threatens him and he runs away. I don't get it. Why? Why would he do that? And it's kind of surprising until we remember what the great theologian Alfred Hitchcock said. <laughs> we all have a wolf. We all got stuff in our lives we're afraid of. And that fright complex is rooted inside every one of us. And for Elijah, it was Jezebel. And I'll tell you what, I don't mean this in a, in a despairing way, but I mean, in this regard, you're not that special. We all got stuff, every one of us, the biggest and bravest, all right, that we're afraid of. And there's reasons to be afraid. I mean, people do use one another, don't they? Marriages do fall apart. Our kids do do crazy things and rebel. Businesses do fail. Jobs do get lost. Lab reports do come back with bad news. And there are real reasons to be afraid. And sometimes they just overwhelm us. And when they overwhelm us, what do we want to do? We want to do what, what, what Elijah did. We just want to, we want to run. We want to get away. And that's exactly what he did. Elijah's afraid. He runs for his life. And after a day of running, he, he runs into the wilderness. He finds a shade tree. And I, this is so interesting to me. He, 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 he runs in the wilderness. And he basically just says this. He says, Lord, take my life. He says, take my life. I've had enough. I have had enough. 
know what he does after that? Travel a little, little further, and uh, he crawls into a cave. All right, so just picture it a little bit, okay? This great man of God, this powerful prophet, he witnessed miracle to miracle, and now here is he's on the run, he said he's had enough, he wants to end it all, and he's in a cave. The interesting thing about this, the cave that he's in, the cave is actually on the side of a mountain. It's on the side of Mount Horeb. Now, I don't know if you know what Mount Horeb is, but Mount Horeb is, 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 a, is, is a very important place in the story of God. We're talking about your story, and something you need to know about your story. Your story is just a part of the story of God. Don't forget that, okay? Your story is just a part of the story of God. Now, in the story of God, Mount Horeb has been a very important place because that's the exact place where God uh, or Moses encountered the burning bush. That's the exact same place where the children of Israel received the Ten Commandments there in Mount Horeb. And so now here, here Elijah is in this, this significant place. And what happens next is one of the most remarkable scenes in all of Scripture. God says to Elijah, he says, go out and stand on the mountainside because I'm about to pass by. And so he does exactly that. God's about to come on site. Watch what happens. Then a great and powerful wind tore through the mountains and tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. Mm-mm. After the wind was there, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Now check this out. After the fire came a gentle, go on back please. After the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled a cloak over his face. He went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And as he stood at the opening of the cave, God whispered and he said this. What are you doing here? Elijah, what are you doing here? This is where you're supposed to be. What are you doing here? Here's what I, here's what I want you to do. And I guess maybe I, I, I tell all that story and I get to all this because think about the things that have you on the run. The things that have you at this point maybe in your life going like, you know what, I've had enough. Lord, I've had enough. You want to crawl into a cave. I think God brought you here today because he wants to whisper to you, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Because I got a brand new story for you. See, sometimes we crawl into a cave, and there's different kinds of caves. One of the caves a lot of us crawl into is what I would call uh, kind of this, uh, this cave of bitterness. Elijah did. Look at this. Look what he says. He says, I've been very zealous for the Lord Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, God. They tore down your altars. They put your prophets to death and put your prophets to death with the sword. Listen, God, I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. You ever find yourself doing that? Say, okay, God, look, look what I've done for you. And look what it's got me. I played by the rules. I did what you asked. And I'm out here on a limb, and it's about to be taken, off, taken down. And that fear then drives us into a cave of bitterness. And for some of us, if we get real specific, maybe it was like God didn't answer the prayer the way you thought he should. Right? Or maybe he didn't answer, you're going like, should, he didn't answer the prayer at all. And maybe you felt like you kind of had a deal with God. Like, God, okay, God, I'm going to do this and you're going to do that, right? I'll be good and then God, you. I'll give you this and you give me. And now God's not keeping up his end of the deal. And we crawl into this cave of bitterness. And I'm telling you, here's the thing. The dangerous thing about being in the cave of bitterness is this. We begin to believe lies. And here's the lies. And see if, see if this sounds familiar in our heads. We start to believe this. I am on my own. I can't trust anyone. 
I got to look out for myself. I'm not sure if God can be trusted anymore. And we can get so angry in that cave of bitterness that we don't even realize it's fear that has driven us there. But I'm telling you, for some of you, and I hope you can hear me deep into that cave, because I think God brought you here to say, hey, what are you doing there? What are you doing in this place? In this cave of bitterness? There's, there's another cave, another cave that we can find ourselves in. I, I'd call it the cave of despair. Elijah, he's had enough. He's exhausted. I mean, emotionally exhausted, relationally exhausted, spiritually, uh, physically exhausted. And some of us in this room, we know exactly what that's like too. And even the bravest of us, we can end up in this, in this cave of despair, right? The bravest of us can. I was working on this talk and I ran across uh, some, some writings by, by Martin Luther King Jr., and I'm telling you, as I read it, it's just like, okay, these are his own words, it's just like, it's coming out of 1 Kings 19, the, the prophet Elijah. Here's what, here's what MLK wrote. He writes, the, these are his own words. He says, one night toward the end of January, I settled into bed late. It was after a strenuous day. Coretta had already fallen asleep, and I was just about to doze off when the telephone rang. I picked it up, an angry voice said, listen, and it said, insert racial slur. We've taken all we want from you. And before next week, you're going to be sorry you ever came to Montgomery. I hung up, but I couldn't sleep. It seemed that all my fears had come down on me at once. I'd reached the saturation point. So I got up again, out of bed and began to walk the floor. Finally, I went to the kitchen. I heated up a pot of coffee, and I was ready to give up. With that cup of coffee sitting untouched before me, I tried to think of a way to move out of this picture without appearing as though I was a coward. In this state of exhaustion, when my courage was all but gone, I decided I was going to take my problems to God. So with my head in my hands, I bowed over the kitchen table and I prayed aloud. And the words I spoke to God that midnight are still vivid in my memory. And here's what I said. I said, God, I am here taking a stand for what I believe is right, but now I'm afraid. The people are looking for me for leadership, and if I stand before them without strength and courage, they too will falter. I'm at the end of my powers. God, I have nothing left. I'm telling you, even even the greatest of modern-day prophets know what it's like to find themselves in the cave of despair. And here's the thing. If you're in that cave of despair, this is a dangerous place because this is the place. The cave of despair is where we finally give up. The cave of despair is where we finally begin to believe yourself. I have no real purpose in life. The cave of despair is where we finally say, you know what? I am done trying. And I think God brought you here today because he's saying, hey, what are you doing in there? What are you doing in there? Let me try one more. I think there's one more cave, too. I think there's one more cave. It doesn't carry kind of the intensity of the emotion of the first two caves, but it's this cave here. I call it the cave of comfort. The cave of comfort. And I think Elijah could have been tempted to think that way. He'd been around for a while. You know what? I've done enough. I've done a lot more for God than other people. It's time for someone else to stick their neck out. And let me, let, me, let me say something to those of you who are a little further down the path of life. The older you get, the scarier it can be to risk, to take risks. There's more at stake. It feels like there's more margin kind of for failure then because you, there's not as much of a runway. And sometimes what happens, the older we get, 
We let fear drive us into the cave of comfort. Now we might call it retirement, but it's just the cave of comfort. In that cave of comfort, it becomes a dangerous place where we become passive, we become simply self-serving, and the world gets smaller and smaller and smaller, about this big, about big as me and mine. And if you're hiding there because you're afraid, I think God's also saying to you, hey, what are you doing there? What are you doing there? And here's the thing. God did not want Elijah's story to end in a cave, not the cave of fear. And he doesn't, he doesn't want that to, for you and he doesn't want it for me. And I think whether it's bitterness or despair or comfort, I think God is saying, what are you doing in there? I read the story of Martin Luther King. And it ended with that line, he said, I have nothing left. But as you know, right, we're talking about writing new stories. His story didn't end there, did it? If you continue on, it's just like that night with Elijah, when the presence of God came to him. Here's what King said. He said, at that moment, at that moment, and he turned to God, right? At that moment, I experienced the presence of the divine as I'd never experienced him before. It seemed as though I could hear the quiet assurance of an inner voice saying this, stand up for righteousness, stand up for truth, and I will be by your side forever. And he said, in that moment, almost at once, my fears began to go. My uncertainty began to disappear. And I was, once again, I was ready to face anything. It was the presence of the divine that God will be by my side forever. And I'm telling you, when you, when you grab a hold of that, that God will be by your side forever, that transforms any old story into a brand new story. Did you know this? The most often repeated phrase in the Bible is this, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. 365 times it's in the Bible. Isn't that interesting? Why do you think it's 365? Hmm. How about that? Isaiah the prophet says these words. And I think these words are probably for you. He says, do not fear for I am with you. Say that with me. I am. Let that sink in. God is with you. He wants to strengthen you. He wants to help you. He wants to uphold you, and he wants to write a new story with your life, a story of faith. Well, what happened to Elijah? Elijah stands at the mouth of that cave, and the word of the Lord came to him, and here's what the word of the Lord came to him and said this, go back, go back. In a little bit, we're going to have you get up out of your seats at the end of the service, and we want you to go back. You go back and you face that fear, all right? You hear me? You go back and face that fear. Don't stay in that cave. What are you doing there? You go back and you take that risk. You go back and take that risk. You go back, because there, there's a purpose. There's a, there's a calling in your life. There's a purpose that God brought you into this world. You go back and you fulfill that purpose. That old story, the old story that you walked in here, that's an old story, but there's a new story, and the new story you're going to leave with is a story of faith. And that new story uh, of faith is one just like my friend Emily, and I want you to hear her story. I think it's going to inspire you. My name is Emily, and this is my story. First experienced God at the age of 10 when I went to a summer Bible camp. I knew at that time that God had me, and I was looking forward to going home and exploring my faith even more. Um, and it was shortly after that that my parents got divorced, 
which led me to a place of where my innocence was intruded on. And I was 11 and searching for answers and started down the road of darkness, which ended up being for 15 years. The 15 years of darkness ended when I met my now husband, Brian, and he introduced me to community where I found my way back to God. It was at that same time, uh, the age of 11, that I believe God gave me the gift of dance. And it was during that same time that I realized that dance could be an escape for me and it could be a safe place. That's where I learned that I loved teaching. I had a mentor who took me under her wing and taught me what it was like to give someone else the gift of dance. It was in 2009 that we first started hearing God call us to Yorkville. There was something in there, I think, fear. Uh, that was keeping us from really listening to God. And we were praying that God would stretch us in our generosity. And we felt like God would tell us that the way you were going to be most generous is through a performing arts center in Yorkville. Uh, it was at that time that we both really felt like now's the time to go. If I'm honest, uh, we were scared and people thought we were crazy. We had an 18 month old and I was nine months pregnant and um, we uprooted our whole family and we were scared and we were fearful, but we came to the point where we chose. You can live two lives. You can live a life of fear or you can live a life of faith. And we chose to dive two feet into faith. I absolutely feel like there were times that I was hiding. When you think about going to a new community, and yes, there is a sense of relief that you can start over, but there is also that part that you know, if you're really going to get to know people and they're gonna get to know you and you're gonna invest in your lives, that you're gonna need to share that life, it kind of seizes you and, and it makes you fear. What are they going to say? Are they going to talk about me? Are, am I going to be accepted? That was such a huge thing for me um, from the time I was 11 to 26 is, is feeling that acceptance and wanting it and craving it and doing anything to get it until I realized that there was only one person that I needed acceptance from and he accepted me just the way I was. And when I came to know Jesus, I realized that and that he would redeem my life and in sharing what he had given me and the gifts and the talents in the center that that little girl at 11 would be redeemed through other kids just made me feel like it would be okay. I know Emily uh, pretty well, and, and to think of her as a person of fear now, I mean, I, I would hardly even recognize it. She is one of the most outgoing, risk-taking, bold people that I know. And what's happened in her life is she's just, I mean, God's written a brand new story. She started a performing arts center that, uh, I mean, where kids are discovering talents that they never knew they had before, and in the process, she's also sharing God with them. We've seen a huge increase in the number of people coming to our Yorkville campus, 
and the number of people that are finding their way back to God and being baptized, it's like one person after another, they, they tell their story, and somehow it intersects, oh, I was a part of the Yorkville Performing Arts Center and Emily. Here's what happens. Here's the difference from the old story to the new story. And it goes back to this verse in Isaiah. Isaiah 41.10. He says, I'm with you, for I'm with you. That's the promise that God made to Isaiah. It's the promise also that Jesus made to his followers. Last thing he said before he left planet Earth. One more time. Hey, I'm going to be with you always.